You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. If this is your first time joining me, thank you so much for being here. And if you are returning, thank you also so much for being here. Uh, Today, we are going to dive into Star Wars. Um, Star Wars is listed on the AFI 10th anniversary uh, best of list at number 13. It is ranked as Star Wars. It is not ranked as A New Hope, um, just to clarify. But, um, okay. Okay, so Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, the the one that started it all. You know, The Last Jedi obviously came out last week, and I am not going to lie to you, I have been shocked at how divisive um, this movie is. I personally really, really enjoyed The Last Jedi. I've seen it twice. Um, I intend to see it again. Um, And uh, I like it for a lot of different reasons. Um, But just fair warning, right now, there are no Last Jedi spoilers in this episode. We are sticking to um, A New Hope in this episode. Our spoiler-filled mini, which dives into The Last Jedi, will be available this Thursday to $5 and up Patreon subscribers. Um, Okay, so today I'm welcoming Jen Yamato. Jen is a personal friend of mine, but she is also a critic and a film scholar. Um, She's currently an entertainment reporter at the LA Times. And um, I was so glad when she picked A New Hope. Uh, I, I was, I knew, so I was watching Last Jedi um, on a Monday and I was recording with Jen on a Wednesday and we still hadn't picked, she still hadn't picked her movie yet. And when I was in the middle of watching Last Jedi, I was thinking to myself, oh, I really hope Jen picks A New Hope. And sure enough, when I spoke with her the following day uh, to confirm that we were still on, she indeed picked the first Star Star Wars uh, movie to come out. So a couple of things about this episode and then we'll dive right in because it is a long one. Um, This is not a romantic conversation about Star Wars. When I say that, what I mean is we're looking at Star Wars, aka A New Hope, um, the same way that we look at every other movie on this show. We we look at just that movie. And, and that definitely is a point of discussion, um, you know, as far as where the movie is ranked on the AFI list. Should it be there? Should it be higher? Should it be lower? Should it be on the list at all? Um, should this movie movie, meaning A New Hope be on the list, or should Empire Strikes Back be on the list, or and so on and so forth. Um, but this is analysis. You know, this is, we are, we are really unpacking um, pop culture and pop art and cultural relevance and, um, and looking at, you know, practical effects and directing styles and, and writing and humor. That's another, another huge thing that comes up in this episode and in the mini coming out on Thursday. Um, so I just, uh, I just want to be clear that this is not going to be a discussion of like, canon and little minutia and, you know, a real deep dive into the mythology um, that is presented in the Star Wars universe. This is two fans of the film and fans of film re-watching A New Hope and looking at it as, you know, objectively as we can and sort of unpacking that. And then, of course, all of the side conversations that come out of that. And and there are definitely a lot of them. Um So I think that's good. This is a long episode. It goes through a lot of twists and turns, but that's kind of why I like it. And um, so that's it. So let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is Jen Yamato talking about Star Wars, aka Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope.
is okay. that interesting? Because uh, I, I rewatched it, but I rewatched the bullshit, like, CG. Yeah, because you one. can't watch the other ones. You can't, and it sucks. And so, like, would I if I put it on their list? Like, they put the original yeah. version on their list, yeah. which I think is notable. No, I agree. I That's something that um, we should just, yeah, I agree. That's something that's really interesting to me is that um, when I was rewatching it last night, I I was like, you can't you can't really get the idea of what this movie was. Yeah. I mean, you can get an idea, but it's not, you know. So it's it's hard. It's, it's hard. Impossible to ever have that experience. Anyways, okay. That I just wanted to make sure that I had that. No, you're good. Okay. We're, we're we're good. We're on. Let's it's go. on. Um, so, Jen, uh, how how should I introduce you? How should we introduce you? Um, you can say that I'm a film reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Let's say it right now because we're recording. Oh, <laughs> so you're well. Hello, Clark Wolf. Hi. I like to just ease in. There's no. This is not formal. This is very informal. This is conversational, and uh, it's just chatting, which I love. Excellent. So, so you, so we're friends. Yes, but, we are friends. But I um, really started reading your work. I think when you were at the Daily Beast. Yeah. Um, I loved a lot of those pieces. Oh, I had so much fun writing for them because it was very freeing. um, And I could really uh, sort of whittle down what I wanted to say in a very specific way to get to things that I felt were important, like social, underlying social meaning and um, social context to things like Star Wars movies for example. Yeah. I mean, but I think that that's, you know, do you have, um, did you go to, did you go to college? Mm-hmm. Did you focus on journalism? Was it entertainment? Was it movies? Uh, I, I studied communications. Okay. Uh, but I always had this interest in film and the college I went to didn't have a film production mm-hmm. major. So sort of by default, I, I fell into film theory classes, which is basically watching movies and talking about yep. them. So I loved that. So that was always part of sort of my my adult life, my my interests, uh, both writing and journalism, and where that overlaps with entertainment and film. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. So the reason I bring it up is because um, I. You know, in doing the show, sometimes like an academic background comes up, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I think it it's worth pointing out, and I I have pointed it out, and will continue to point it out that film criticism has only really been a respectable thing mm. for a couple of decades. I mean, mm-hmm. like you know, back. I mean, obviously, movies and pop culture and film entertainment as we know it is what a century old, probably maybe a little bit more. But it wasn't really until I think the seventies mm-hmm. and into the eighties when, like, actual oh, films yeah. they took it they took it seriously. I mean, uh, I actually it's funny you mentioned this because my first job after college was being an editor for Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. Uh, which is where I got my start of my career. And it was by complete accident. It happened because I'm from the Bay Area, and one of my college housemates uh, in a house full of computer nerds, after he graduated, he got a job at this like startup, this cool little tech startup called Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And then they started hiring editors. Mm-hmm. And I had this natural love for pop culture, Love for movies. I knew what IMDb was. That uh, <laughs> basically sealed the deal for them. Um, and I started working there as an editor, which meant I could, like, basically my job was, and all of our jobs then, were to read reviews voraciously every single week and upload them to the site, determine if they're fresh or rotten, um, and just basically live in this this very specific world of film criticism. Um, and I loved it. I loved reading reviews. I still read them, not quite as much as I did back then, mm-hmm. but I remember the first film festival I went to, I was starstruck by the film critics <laughs> who I ran into, and they're always, like, extremely weirded out by this, like, Asian girl coming up to them, freaking out over their reviews uh, or, or whatever, but, um, you know, criticism has always been very exciting to me because that's how I think... Uh, part one of the one of the reasons how uh, that that films take on extra life mm-hmm. after somebody sees them, 
uh, it's not just a, a, a single disposable interaction that you have with a film. A film, unless it's you know like designed to be completely immemorable, uh, a film ideally would would change you and um, uh, give you something to process. And sometimes that takes you know a day or two, and then you forget it. Um, and sometimes it, take, it, it lasts for years or decades. And the film that we're here to talk about is a great example of uh, a piece of art, uh, a piece of pop art mm-hmm. that really, really had such, and still has such, such a long life, affecting so many people for years, uh, which is one of the, the magical things about movies specifically that I really love. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, with, with, um, with Star Wars specifically, Star Wars is is a really big one to tackle because it meant so much to the film industry that we know now. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is coming around the time of Jaws and the blockbuster, and um, there's a great book by Tom Schoen called Blockbuster. I love that book. It's it's all about how film changed, and Lucas and Spielberg were a huge part of that. Um, but, you know, in re-watching Star Wars, and, and honestly, just very, very quickly looking at the acclaim, and just so our, our friends who are listening know, um, we're going to call this movie Star Wars. We know it now <laughs> as A New Hope, Episode 7, A New Hope, but for our intents and purposes, it's called Star Wars, um, which was the original uh, title, of course. Um, but so, Are you sure we shouldn't refer to it the entire time as Star Wars colon Episode 4 <laughs> dash A New Hope? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, if you want to do that, you go right ahead. But that's why you are a respected journalist <laughs> and I am a podcaster. Um, but I... So no, <laughs> but but I was looking just very quickly at the acclaim that Star Wars received. Star Wars not only won six Oscars, technical Oscars, but the nominations: Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writing, and Alec Guinness. And when I rewatched Star Wars last night, I'm not going to lie, I I am shocked that the Academy recognized yeah. Star Wars in those ways. Technically, absolutely. It yeah. makes sense. The score in our for our AFI purposes, it's the number one score on of all AFI ranked scores. But Star Wars to me is the kernel, is a nugget and has birthed this incredible yeah. galaxy and universe. Um, but that initial film, who could have ever known? You know, and so it, so it is pop and it is worth considering because it does mean so much. But when you actually look at the first piece, it's kind of shocking that this is the thing that changed the world. So as far as Star Wars goes, um, when was the first time that you saw Star Wars? Do you remember? Oh, um, definitely as a young child because um, I was born after it came out, many years after it came out. So it would have been on home video for sure mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the 80s, so okay. mid to late 80s. Um, but it's also, like, I was thinking about this, preparing to talk to you about Star Wars, Episode Four, <laughs> A New Hope, and thinking that Star Wars, not just this movie, but, like, the entire mm-hmm. original trilogy, it's something that is so collectively just, like, buried in part of our collective consciousness, our pop consciousness, that it's so hard to even, like, uh, compartmentalize yourself, yeah. to, to disassociate yourself today with... Your, your memory of seeing it yes. throughout your childhood. Yes. Uh, but it is really, really fascinating to rewatch it uh, and rewatch these movies uh, every few years to see what you miss or to see how certain storylines or character arcs mm-hmm. appreciate in value the older you get. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, when I had Mark Bernardin on the show to talk about the Terminator. Shout out, Mark. Shout out, Mark. What up? Great. Uh, But we talked about the Terminator, and honestly, we talked a lot of, or at least I brought up the idea of the Terminator and Arnold 
have always been in my yeah. consciousness yeah. because of my age. My dad is a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. My dad wasn't so much about Terminator as he was Predator and yeah. some of the other stuff that Arnold did, but like, you know, in terms of what he showed us. Um, but it was very hard to distinguish. And it was fun to go back and actually sit down and look and be like, oh my God this is this and this is that in this movie and how that played out. One of the biggest things that stood out to us was um, the, the quote. So on the AFI list, mm. on the top quotes, the Terminator, I'll be back, is on the list. And we all know that that line is you know, one of the most, um, you know, quoted lines in all of movie history, right? Yeah. But when you think about it, when you watch the movie and you watch that scene, it's... It makes no sense that that is the thing that stood out because it's not even the punchline to the joke. It's the setup to the joke. It's just him looking around saying, I'll be back. And then the car coming through is the punchline. And so you're just like, on what planet of all of these beautiful quotable lines in The Terminator is that the one that stands out? But that does make sense because that is one of the more quotable moments because it's a moment that kids and people and fans can emulate. Yes, of course. So it's it's a it's a quotable moment that come that's born out of a, like a fan's love yes. for a movie, which is interesting about a lot of these classic movies, uh -huh. right? Like the lines that we remember. There's so many in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope <laughs> that are still referenced, you know, uh, and have been referenced endlessly since 1977. Um, but I was fun. It's I don't know if this is a weird jump to make, but it's something that <laughs> I could not help thinking uh, as I was re-watching Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope last night, is that a lot of my childhood memories of the original trilogy are inextricably tied to my childhood love of Spaceballs. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. The parody is such... Okay. I'm so glad that this is coming up because <laughs> generational is so when something is such an iconic pop culture phenomenon, it lives, it exists, it's born. Yeah. Star Wars, um, you know, one of the great stories in that book, Blockbuster, is about how there was no merchandising available, readily available. Kids were having to make their own stuff. And so somebody, got, I think it was Lucas actually, got wise and was like, can I have all Boy these? Boy was for sure George Lucas. Yeah, saying, can I have all these merchandising rights? And 20th going, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And, you know, a whole other section of this industry was yeah. born, right? So when I, when you come to classic things that have been parodied and celebrated and, um, you know, just so distributed throughout everyday life, it's exactly that. I was that way with Austin Powers and James Bond <laughs> because of my age. Yes. Like when I was in film school, because my dad was never into James Bond, so I didn't grow up on Bond. So when I went to film school, my teacher, I, I did grow up on Austin Powers though. So my teacher showed us Goldfinger and you're like, oh my God, I know that because you know the echo of it. But I could not take it seriously. <laughs> I could not take Goldfinger seriously also because it is, I'm sorry, friends, but very dated. Um, so it's, some of it is just comical. But you just, like, they got it so good. Austin, you know, Mike Myers got it so good. Yeah. So were you, did you watch both side by side? Or was it like you came to Spaceballs first or you came to one before the other? Um, I honestly can't remember which I saw first because Spaceballs came out in 1987, which is around the time that I was, you know, like actually conscious uh -huh. con conscious of movies enough to retain, you know, like information and, and knowledge of it. Um, but again, like like Spaceballs is a movie that I've actually probably seen more than yeah. any an individual uh, of the original trilogy movies, and. Uh, Rewatching A New Hope just reminds you how well they nail yes. every single thing in Spaceballs. He's a master. I felt that way with um, Men in Tights. So Robin and Men in Tights, great movie. Okay, so actually, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jen. You are correct. It is a great movie. And 
I always say that when it comes to the Mel Brooks conversation, I know what the right answer is. What's your favorite Mel Brooks movie? It's either Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, you know, the, nope. the, the classics. Nope. Mine, admittedly, is Men in Tights. I love Robin Hood Men in Tights, but I grew up watching that movie so much when yeah. I was a kid that recently um, I wanted to watch Men in Tights and I realized I didn't have it. So I went... And this was tragic. This was it was tragic. And it was pre-Amazon Prime. This was pre like all the video services. And it wasn't on Netflix. So I was like, okay. So I went on Amazon, I ordered the DVD, and in the meantime, I noticed that on Netflix was Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Also a movie that I love because so, I watched it so much when I was a kid. So I had never seen it. Oh my god. I had only seen <laughs> and basically memorized Men in Tights. And so when I watched Prince of Thieves having in my own brain like Men in Tights playing in the background, I was like, they got this movie so yeah. good. And that that's just like Mel Mel Brooks, I mean, I don't know if it's um I think there is a real something to be appreciated for what he does because you're right it's it's just so simultaneous it's it's seamless yeah and it's very loving too both of those movies of are course. very loving he's not a jab i don't think he has know. a mean streak i i think he's i think he's pretty good natured yeah um so so but with star wars did so okay mm. was your was star wars a part of your you know movie when you discovered that you loved film and oh, yeah. you discover that you, at least this is how it was for me and I don't know if it was for you, but um, you discover slowly but surely there's more to film yeah. and you start unpacking a mm -hmm. little bit. For my timeline, the re-release of the original films in theaters was right when I was about 10, mm -hmm. 12. Mm -hmm. So this was very much a part of my childhood in addition to my dad having shown me these movies when I was a kid. So for you... Was Star Wars an important part of your film um, appreciation that turned into a more a refined appreciation? Um, I think uh, definitely it is what it is the first fantasy film that I'd ever seen. Okay, and uh, I definitely had a deep fantasy lit period during my awkward phase uh -huh. in middle school. And I very much think that it has they're, they're, they're intertwined um, because a movie like Star Wars is magical. Yeah. It's so human, and yet it, it really, like, opens up the universe to possibilities in such inventive ways. And I feel that watching it again. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the filmmaking from the 70s is... Very different from filmmaking yeah. of 2017, for yeah. example. Um, but the things that really still are magical still work. Mm -hmm. The first time you see a lightsaber, mm -hmm. uh, the first time you see, you know, space battles. Even the the miniature work that they do in the original movies is still like yeah. f so well done that I can still just like let myself be carried away with wonder. Um, and so I definitely think that having that experience watching this movie when I was a kid opened my brain up, my brain and my soul up mm -hmm. to possibilities like that within, specifically within this genre, but also movie magic. Mm -hmm. it, it made movie magic come alive. Yeah. They, you know, I was noticing when I was rewatching the film last night, the first images that you see. I mean, it's funny you bring up the models because I wrote, it's the third thing I wrote down was, I still think the models look cool. They do. And they do look cool. They look really cool. And the first things we see are, you know, the first creatures that we see are C-3PO or R2-D2, Stormtroopers, Vader, Leia. Like, yeah. all of these things that you see, these characters that you're introduced to in the first five minutes of the movie, they are so unique yeah. and specific in the way that they look that you really are like, wow, I'm in another world. Yeah. I think that is uh, one of the really beautiful things about the first Star Wars mm -hmm. movie being the movie that establishes the look and feel of this world, this universe, this galaxy, in very specific ways. You know, the design of uh, the droids, the, the designs of the of the ships, the yeah. the costuming, the look of everything is so specific and unique and original 
that you're immediately with it. Mm-hmm. You're immediately taken away into this complete original fantasy world, this fa- fantasy reality, and so you're not like your brain isn't like trying to make sense of it and trying to like see through the cracks. I also think that because filmmaking was not as sophisticated in 1977 mm-hmm. as it is now, uh, that that you know like miniature work mm-hmm. or sets that are kind of obviously sets when you look at them through a contemporary lens. Um, back then, audiences did not... Audiences were asked more of. They Filmmakers asked, had to ask the audiences uh, implicitly to go along with it, to suspend their disbelief, to, go, to give over to this imagination, this fantasy. And so I feel like it was probably easier to immediately get lost in yeah. and get swept away in a world like this back then than it is now when you're like, uh, Battle Angel Alita, what is wrong with her eyes? Right. Uh, well, that's, and you know, it's, it is, it's something that you can actually pick up with your hands. I mean, for me as a viewer, mm. I, I prefer, okay, so an example is I went and saw The Wizard of Oz um, 3D you know, convert, oh, convert. Yeah. And um, usually post-conversion is, like, not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was so amazing about The Wizard of Oz was that they built everything. And so it actually does jump off the screen. There cool. is depth yeah. to it. And I was like, wow, this is so special, you know, because because it was really there. And so I feel that way about Star Wars. I would, I would rather... You know, and and I do believe that the later movies, you know, J.J. Abrams, like with The Force Awakens and Ryan Johnson with The Last Jedi, like they have actively, I think, tried to do as much um, practically as they can, and and you feel that I yeah. feel that um, maybe as opposed to the prequels, right, where where a lot of it was was green screen or blue screen or whatever, and you can feel that too, um, but. I would rather watch a movie from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s that I can actually, I feel like I'm there yeah. and, and ask me to do that, ask me to go along with you and I can because it's it's on the screen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the performances are that much more authentic too. Like, you know, I don't know what it, what, if any performances in particular stood out to you upon rewatch, but for me, it was um, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher. Harrison Ford pops off the screen yeah. in this movie yeah, yeah, and it, it was when it was just a reminder that when Harrison Ford shows up he's <laughs> great and i don't mean that as a knock it's just you know look it's it's Harrison Ford has been a movie star since 1978 i mean he's old and he was and he was <laughs> He is old. No, I mean I'm serious. He's he was an adult man right, when he became like, a movie star. Like nowadays, he's very much like uh, kind of grumpy. Yeah. Harrison Ford and playing a version of that. But he was great in Blade Runner, yep. and I feel yep. like he showed up for Blade Runner. Well, him in the original Star Wars, uh, he just he sparkles. Yes, and he the, does. Ch- the charisma is instantaneous. I think that's also something uh, in Carrie Fisher's performance yes. uh, specifically. Um, uh, the 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 performance that really stood out to me in rewatching is Alec Guinness. Really? is so good. He's like running a master class in every single scene, and I think hands down he's like the standout to me. Mm. Um, and oh, I'll save I'll save my linked thoughts to the Last Jedi okay. for our spoiler section. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but Alec Guinness really does it for me uh, because he's also like if you think about it, he is our introduction to what a Jedi is. Yes, it's funny too because he's one of those actors. Um, you know, I go, I I have mixed feelings about his performance only because I I think it's well documented that he did not want to be doing this, but at the same time. It's like the man can't help 
but be great. Yeah. Because he yeah. is so great. And and he is perfectly cast in that wise elder um, and classy. When I say that, I mean like, you know, when I think about the Force and when I think about the Jedi, um, and obviously there's light and there's dark, but when I think about the, the light side of the Force, I do think of class and respectability and poise. And, and he is an incredible introduction to that. And I think his sort of getting that off the ground has led to... I mean, has sustained throughout all of the, the yeah. films that came after. You know what else is really interesting about rewatching the performances in A New Hope is having seen all the movies that came after yes. and having that in mind. It's such a singular experience that is virtually like non-existent in any other franchise to rewatch the first movie with the full knowledge of who these people are, yes. what they're about to affect within the canon, yeah. uh, all the way up to 2017 and beyond is crazy, yeah. by the way. Uh, but also to see what these performers put into their their initial performances when they had no idea what would come later, and to see which bits of that bit, bits of those performances really like made a lasting impact that was then extended throughout all of the movies. Mm-hmm. It's it's really cool like um to that to to see a through line between Alex Guinness's performance uh, as Obi-Wan in Star Wars episode 4 A New Hope mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh you know the events of the last Jedi is a mm-hmm. r- really special kind of thing to be able to to link in in your mind. Well, and it's also really fun to be able to see how much Mark Hamill had grown and has grown. Oh my god, real talk, Mark Hamill is so annoying in Star Wars in, yeah. in A New Hope. By design. Yes. Admittedly, like even his hair annoys me. Yeah. Um so it is yeah, it is cool to see how how much he evolved in particular because yeah. like basically in A New Hope Han is already Han. Mm-hmm. Leia is already Leia. Yep. And Luke is the one who has like the biggest like uh, distance to cross mm-hmm. as a person. Yeah. Uh, it, it's quite yeah. an amazing journey. I mean, to uh, over however many decades to watch to be able to grow with the character, mm-hmm. to for the actor to be able to grow and still, you know, it feels um he still feels like he is learning more about the character. It feels like it, they're pacing very nicely together, and it's a really unique and special thing for one actor to be able to sustain a, one role for decades. Yeah. I mean, that's like that's really, really cool. The other thing that, I, that really stood out to me about this one was um, the, the, the humor in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, is, <laughs> I have a theory about this. One. What Go is on. it? Tell me. No, no, no. Well, I was just going to say that uh, there are some funny jokes in this movie. Star Wars got jokes, man. Star Wars and people has forget jokes. about and, that. And they're like legit funny. There's so many of them. And when you rewatch A New Hope, you remember how many, like how much humor was literally baked into it from the first movie. Yes. So my theory about humor in the Star Wars franchise yes. is uh, that fans forgot or willingly, willfully forgot mm-hmm. how funny Star Wars is yeah. when the prequels hit. Right. Because the prequels were so awful that Star Wars became a joke. and So it's not okay to laugh. It's not okay to laugh at Star yes, Wars because right. it's terrible. How dare you? Uh, this isn't funny. This is very serious. It's very much like, and this might be controversial, it's very much like... I. I would compare it to how DC fans and mm-hmm. fans of the Batman movies are hypersensitive to outside criticism of those films because they love it so much. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, those movies are definitely dark, mm-hmm. uh, purposefully. But Star Wars was funny, had so much humor from the beginning. Yes. And also, by the way, to use your analogy, Batman Begins is funny. Like, 
like I'm not I'm not being I'm not using hyperbole. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan ha- there are some funny jokes in yeah. that movie. And and Christian Bale, by the way. Yeah. Like he he has some great little beats that actually work. Yeah, the way he plays Bruce Wayne. Absolutely. And and that is intentional. Mm-hmm. And and I think there's 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 comedy throughout all of Christopher Nolan's stuff. Um I mean, obviously some more than others. But yeah, it's it's um I, I get what you're saying. It's it is similar because um, when Batman Begins relaunched Batman uh, as a feature film, it had died this horrible death previously of, as we all know, bat nipples, and it's a 90 minute toy commercial in Batman and Robin. So we're gonna make it serious. Um, in Batman Begins, absolutely makes sense, but also that doesn't mean that it is humorless. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and uh, it does. You're right. I think that's a really great observation about Star Wars because the jokes, like this, was a point of contention for me with a couple of people, and 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 I get the point, but I don't agree with it. With um, Rogue One, yeah. The the Darth Vader line about choking on your aspiration or ambition. Do you remember the exact line? It's choking on something, right? That was not funny. And to me, it took me right out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, why is Darth Vader telling jokes? This is weird. Right. That is not to say that Dark, Darth Vader doesn't have a funny line here or there, but it's not as though he's telling a joke. Right. Do you get what I'm saying? So, but if you look at Darth Vader in A New Hope, yeah. he's funny. And in, like, you're right, he's not trying to be funny, like, in the... Uh, he's not a Catskills comedian. Right, but those puns. lines are designed to be funny to the audience. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's just the handling. And and so I, I got into this with Christian Harloff, and granted, I would never argue too much with Christian Harloff about anything Star Wars because I am um, a casual to slightly more casual Star Wars fan, right? I, lo- I grew up on these movies. I love them. I appreciate them. Um, I think that The Last Jedi will turn me into a more than casual Star yeah, Wars fan. agreed. Um, but he was saying, like, yeah, but humor's always been in Star Wars. It has. I, I mean, the scene that, like, really I will always remember, Vader-wise, is... I find your lack of faith yes. disturbing. That is so funny. Yeah, it's a great line. It's a legitimate, and then you cut, and then like, there's so much. Even I even think that the way that Star Wars, the original Star Wars movies, are edited mm-hmm. with the wipes, the, the wi- famous yeah. wipes. There's a humor to that because it calls attention to what is happening. It calls attention to the very intention choice to to make a a wipe in all sorts of directions. Uh-huh. Um, so it's it's. In a way, it's very self-aware. It's a, it's aware of that you're going to notice what it is doing. Well, and Lucas wanted to make Flash Gordon, and Flash Gordon was not a serious, you know. I mean, and and by the way, that doesn't mean that we can't take the things that happen in the movies seriously. Oh yeah, I take like the Jedi philosophy very seriously. I, I actually, I mean, it's it's yeah. it's a beautiful philosophy, and it it is meaningful. And you know, what's even more impressive. So something that I have found about um, about doing this show, right, is like I like talking to people whose views and opinions aren't necessarily taken into consideration when a collective body decides what a classic is, what is great, right? I like bringing a different perspective into that and voicing that opinion. On the other hand, I am finding that these movies that the collective body decided are meaningful and everlasting, yeah. most of them are. And, <laughs> and, and, and they're, they're not wrong. And we can argue. Well, no, go ahead. What I was going to say, say uh, that brings us to an interesting point we were touching on earlier before yeah. we start, started talking of when exactly AFI put Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope on their list. Yes. I think it's uh, not insignificant that... It was added to the list in what position number 13? 13, yes. After, uh, what, what year did that happen? Um, again? So 2000, 2007, 2007. 2007. The first list came out in 1998. The, it's confusing because they call it the 10 year anniversary, but 
but they, that, uh, they, that doesn't yeah, work. The, yeah. I'm sure there's some justification. <laughs> One day I'll have a representative of AFI on this show and they can explain to me how the, it's like the section in the Oscars where the, where the accounting firm comes out and they say all the right. gibberish about how this works. But okay, so the first list came out in 1998. The 10-year anniversary was 1997. And then Star Wars was ranked as number 13 on that list. So something happened in those 20 years that made the uh, AFI decide that it is in the top 20 greatest American films of all time. So here's where I think Star Wars on the AFI list deserves an asterisk. Uh Uh-huh, okay. There's no way that they intended to include on AFI's best movies of all time the version of Star Wars that has these stupid, stupid, terrible CGI re-edit. Yeah. Which, in every single moment that you watch A New Hope Now, which, by the way, this is the only version that you can find now. Yep. Thank you, George Lucas. Slash, don't, no thank you. (laughs) Uh, You can only see this this re-edited version, Mm -hmm. and it is... It drives me crazy because all the CGI... I mean, CGI at that point was not good no. enough to do that. No, it wasn't. And it, sta- and it stands out, like we were talking about earlier, all of these tangible effects and yeah. visuals, and then you have a weird CG creature brushing up against it. It, it, is, yeah. it takes you out, it does take you out of the magic. I mean, and it for me, it really begins... Like, I'm with... A New Hope up until we get to the cantina. Okay. Which is where you see all these stupid, weightless, mm-hmm. not very good CGI creatures right. running about. Um, and then later when Han has his scene with Jabba, the CGI yeah. hut, it's like they're not even in the same room, yeah. let alone the same like planet or plane of existence. <sighs> you know, and... and, and um, and we'll get more into it in just a minute with the with our spoilery talk about Last Jedi. But I would argue that there is some CG in the Last Jedi that is character based, that is very good. Um, so I'm very excited about this. <laughs> To but hear whatever you're talking about. The point is that when humans interact <laughs> with CG characters. Yeah. Um, it's harder to pull off when there's supposed to be weight to that scene. Yeah. And I think that there is weight to the Han and Jabba scene in a comedy and danger and adventure way. And it cannot be achieved because Harrison Ford is jabbing his finger against a, a That's right. Like bunch of pixels. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I mean it doesn't it doesn't work. It, that part doesn't work. And it's a crime that like we can't see the original version as it yes. originally existed. Yes. I don't care, honestly, because of this one point of contention. I don't care what George Lucas wanted, you know, like his intention for us to then years later see this stupid CGI hybrid version right. of Star Wars. I would rather see the original version for consistency's sake. Well, it's like if Steven Spielberg went back to Jaws and CG'd a shark where he intended the shark to be. It's like, well, that's not the movie that I like. Or and you know, Spielberg did it with E.T. too. Like, you know, you don't have to take the guns and then the walkie-talkies. I mean, I honestly, I think the Spielberg, the the E.T. gun thing is cute. I like that because that has a greater intention to me. That has like a social intention. This has, what is this? But, I mean, I, I would push back on that just because, you know, like um, like Spielberg and Close Encounters is mm. another example. I would have, if I had made that movie, Scott Mance, in an upcoming episode the audience will hear, makes a point about Spielberg saying, well, if I made Close Encounters, you know, years later, he would have, Roy would have never left his family. And- <laughs> And, and Scott Mann said, well, then I'm glad you didn't make it that many years yeah. later because this is the movie that I fell in love with. Yeah, we all have spent the last however many years thinking he's a huge asshole for just completely <laughs> abandoning his family well, in pursuit some, of this but some vision. people don't feel that way. Some people <laughs> like the movie exactly as it is, like Scott Mance, and that's a teaser for an upcoming episode. But the point I'm making is I just don't feel like it's... I feel like if you're... To go back and change things, whether it is 
for good, like the guns and the walkie-talkies, or whether it is for maybe not as good as we as fans would say, like the CG in the Star Wars movies, I think you've got to either just let it be or... Here's, like, it's fine if that is the vision that George Lucas, decades later, wanted people to see, but then at least give us the option. Yeah, I agree. I do agree. Give us the option. Of seeing the different version. Um, Before we... So, I want to bring up one more thing. Um, And it's the idea of legacy. Hmm. So, I would argue that Star Wars, episode four, a new book... (laughs) Is not the 13th greatest American movie of all time. Oh. I would. Controversy. It, is it, though? What Star Wars would you episode think it four, is? A New Hope, as the 13th greatest American movie of all time? Hold on. I'm going to pull up the list. I need to see what is, like, directly above yeah. and below. Pull it up. Uh, so, so, I don't mean that as a knock. I'm When I bring up legacy, I think Star Wars left a legacy on this business that is almost incomparable to anything else that we've seen. I mean, truly, Star Wars changed movie making forever. So just as a quick interjection, number one, Citizen Kane. Number two, The Godfather. Number three, Casablanca. Blah, blah, blah. Yep. Uh, Number 13, Star Wars. Number 14, Psycho. 15 is 2001, A Space Odyssey. So you see that, that sort of progression. Yeah. I see it. I mean, I. You're saying you want Star Wars to move up the list. I think it should be lower on the lower. list. Lower. Oh yeah. Oh. I don't think Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope is the is in the top ten greatest American movies of all time. I would say Empire might should be on this mm-hmm. list. I think Empire is a better film. Yeah. Right now, that again, this is not me knocking A New Hope. This is me saying. When you're making these lists, mm. the impact, the cultural impact is clearly important, but to me, it goes back to this idea of like, <laughs> I, how can I take this seriously if they're clearly not being objective? Okay. I had this thought, actually, yeah? uh, last night, um, uh, and the comparison that I can most easily draw to how you feel about... Star Wars's placement on this list yeah. is how I feel about the true ranking of the Fast and Furious movies. Oh, okay. Uh, you, it depends on right, like th- how you choose to rank them. Your favorites by the best, Absolutely. whatever. And best and favorite, by the way, is something... So two different things. There's yes. two different things. And this is something <laughs> that we get into on the internet a lot. Like, you're allowed to love a thing with your whole yeah. heart. That doesn't mean it's yeah. the best. And, by the way, it's totally okay yeah. for your favorite thing to not be the best. And it's also totally okay for the best thing to not be your favorite. Clark, okay. you're saying some like very challenging. <laughs> it's the force. Right Use now. the force, Jen. Use the force. I'm saying this, this is going to be hard for a lot of people to hear. Hey, I, they need to hear. I it. I think that, but the, and this is not me picking on Star Wars specifically. Yeah, no, this no. is me picking on it. anything. Okay, so what were so, you? So Fast and Furious. So here's the thing. My relationship with the Fast and Furious franchise has changed a lot over the years. Um, I would say that my number one favorite, if we're talking about favorites, is obviously for anybody who knows me. Tokyo Drift. Okay. Fast and Furious 3, Tokyo Drift. Uh, that's my number one favorite one. Uh, for a long time, when I ranked the best in terms of quality, I would put Tokyo Drift up high, but I wouldn't put a number one because I, w- I used to rank the first Fast and Furious movie, The Fast and the Furious, as number one because it was the movie, in my mind, that started the entire yep. mythology. Totally. And so uh, I factored in sort of impact and uh, the 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 value of of creating the seed of something that can sustain itself in such a wildly evolving franchise. Yes. Um, now I I'll be honest my love for the franchise has a little, has taken a hit because oh, of no. Fast 8. Yes. <clears throat> yes, I know that. And and just I would weigh in but I have not I have never seen a Fast and Furious. Oh my God, Clark! And here, I know that I would love them. This is the thing: is that never, not even one. No, <gasps> I know that I would love them, but it's such a daunting task 
that I'm just like, oh God, eight movies. So I just haven't started, and as a result, I've never seen. Okay, one. this is going to be one of our friendship right. projects. <laughs> like long term, no, no immediate pressure. But this will happen. I'm ready. I want to watch them. <laughs> I do. Uh, but I guess my point is, yeah, the difference between favorite and best uh, is very hard for a lot of people to distinguish. And, and it is harder when you love a franchise. Yeah. Um, so I agree with Star Wars, the original Star Wars, being on the list. Yeah. Uh, because of legacy, because of impact. In the 100, yeah. yes. I agree Star Wars, A New Hope, should be an should be in the 100 if especially if we're not going to make room for empire mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like um and and this is this is what's so tough about this list is that you, and then this is why I like doing this to be <laughs> honest with you cuz it gives me something to like brush up against it gives me something to like rage against the machine oh afi i'm raging against you but um no but stick it to the man stick it to the man at afi but but that i i do agree like i do think it should be in the top 100 but and like and impact is important. Um, but it also, it, you know, we talk about genre not being respected on this list, or I'm sorry, on this podcast all the time. Mm. And here's an example of genre being respected. Yeah. And yet I'm displeased. So really what I'm saying <laughs> is there's no pleasing me, and that's okay. You know what's interesting about AFI's list, by the way? There is quite a number of genre movies. Horror movies, sci-fi movies, fantasy movies. Yeah, you think so? Wizard of Oz is yeah. number 10. Yeah, which, yeah, top 10 for sure. Psycho Should be. is number 14. Yeah. Vertigo is, I know Vertigo. that's not horror, but. E.T. is on. Yep. I mean, these are also, like, legitimately great movies. I think The Exorcist is on there somewhere. Um, yeah, Silence of the Lambs is on one of them. The, yeah, I mean, look. You know, it's hard because, <laughs> because um, they, you know, the thrills list. So actually, I'm going to go ahead and I'll do a little in in the podcast plug. One of my minis, um, I had Rebecca McKendry from um, former editor-in-chief of Blumhouse.com. Yeah. She was on and she picked Vertigo, right? So as a result... She had a lot of bones to pick with the thrills list, which is, you know... Oh, um, the thrillers, I guess? Well, it's tough because thrills is kind of a way of inviting more genre movies to come out and play, but then you have action thrillers and you yeah. have, you know, and so it's just, you can't quite give horror its due. Um, and And so, you know, we really get into the idea of, I objectively don't believe that you can have a 100 greatest thrilling movies list, American movies list, without including John Carpenter's The Thing. I think it is one of the 100 sure. most thrilling Agreed. quality films. And, but it wasn't even in contention. But The Thing from Another World was. And so what we, and, and but what I, the bigger point of this, and I didn't say this on the mini, but like this is how I feel about it is, how am I supposed to take you seriously if if this list these lists and this organization seriously if they don't take all american film seriously which is uh, a criticism that i think definitely extends as we were talking earlier to award season yes, the absolutely. oscars golden globes um, i think it should be nominated for best adapted screenplay i know that book and i think they did a great job and i think it's a great script and i think that <laughs> Why I am not on? I'm not a member of the academy. But you know, like Get Out, for example, as yes. we like heaped praise upon at the top of this, uh, is a horror movie. Yeah, absolutely. That Jordan Peele, I think, probably had to uh, purposefully frame as a quote social thriller to get more mainstream audiences to be receptive to it. Yeah, I think he, I think Jordan, though, I've only talked to him once about this in a in an interview setting. Mm-hmm. But the comparison that he always makes is Rosemary's Baby yeah. and um, uh, Stepford Wives. Yeah. And I think it is in line with Stepford Wives. And Stepford, and this is where we get into this weird terminology about horror and yeah. genre and thriller and all these things because for some people, horror means Freddy and Jason and nothing else. Yeah. And for some people, it means ghosts and nothing else. Those people are wrong. <laughs> they are wrong. Um, okay, so 
Anyway, what, um, okay, so what is the, what would you add to the list? Everybody gets to pick a movie to oh. add to the list. And, um, well, can I just add one more thought about oh, yes, A New Hope? Please. And that is rewatching it. I really was reminded of how wonderfully it doles out this very specific mythology uh, that then obviously we've seen carry through to so many movies. Of varying quality, but the mythology, the seeds of it, the kernels of it are all in this first movie, and it's really tremendous to feel the reverberations of these ideas carried out over three decades. Yes. Three, four Four decades? Uh, Seventy. Four, four decades. Yeah, um, yeah, almost four. Yeah. Well, and and actually, that was the point of I, I was I agree with you, and that's where I was going a little earlier um, when I was talking about you know the you know being able to look at the list with fresh eyes, mm. but also realize uh, they got it right. Um, when I was rewatching A New Hope, I was thinking, you know, that you're right. The kernels are here, and so much understanding about life and the politics of a gr- of a species or a group yeah. living under the same galaxy. society yeah yes, society yeah. thank you that's what i'm trying to say um and the cyclical nature yeah. of all of that is present right here in a new hope star wars whatever it's present in this first film and it can't be understated how truly profound that is. And there really is something different for you in this one movie, and of course, like all the movies that come after, but there's something different for you at different stages of your yes, life. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like even after watching The Last Jedi and then rewatching yes. New Hope, I'm like, it just like Leia, for example, yeah. as a character, is such a badass character. From the beginning, I would argue, from yeah. the, from the first minute we see yeah. her, she is always doing. Yeah, I mean, the difference in maturity between Luke and Leia, yes, is vast. It is, you know. Yeah, uh, but but also like the romantic, the the sort of sizzle, the chemistry uh, between Han and Leia. From the beginning is something that like is a is a kind of romantic spark that you don't see that much in movies anymore. Yeah, um, and I really do associate it with the '80s era of movie making mm-hmm. of like these sort of like epic adventure mm-hmm. sort of stories. Um, uh, but that's something that I miss seeing, and it's so like it, it's so vibrant in the first movie. It is. It absolutely is. I think it, something like that carries over into Raiders. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, has been replicated. That's another thing. Um, before we get into what we would add, I, I think that when, you know, we were talking about legacy, right? Um, the, the, the impact on the way directors make movies and write movies, I think is, we cannot overstate how great it is. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, so for instance, I grew up loving Independence Day, right? Of course. And, of course. And, uh, but when I was re-watching um, A New Hope, I was so struck by how Roland Emmerich just took pretty much everything that is in the fighter planes from this scene. Yeah. And, and that's cool. Like, that's really, really cool to me. Um, and similarly, you know, you have Han and Leia, and then you have Marion and Indy, and then you have in like Stephen Summers, The Mummy. You have Rick and Eve, and that is just a retelling of this of this dynamic. And you know, for me as a kid of a certain age, like those are really important. Um, they're they're important movies that I grew up in or I grew up watching, and um, you know, so I think that 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 can't be. Um, yeah, it, it's really important. Yeah, but. Okay, so what was I'm supposed to tell you? A surprise. It's a surprise that you have no idea what's in my brain. That's right. Of a movie that I would add to the list. You can yes, the greatest American movie that um, that is not is not on the list. Okay, my uh, humble submission to AFI's top 100 is Terminator 2. Okay, that's a great one. Uh, we're talking a lot about, or at least I. We're in the, the the realm of franchises that have great sequels yes. that might 
even surpass, if not merely add on yes. to the predecessors. Yes. Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Empire. <laughs> yes. You can, the, just, just a few that come to mind that you could include if you wanted to. Uh, Big Top Pee Wee. I mean, come on. <laughs> but, okay, so, yeah. I, well, Terminator 2, you know, Mark and I sort of got into this a little when we talked about Terminator. And I hope, yeah. so Terminator 2 aliens. is on, um, yeah, Aliens. Mm-hmm. These are on the thrills list. Right. And they're on quote lists. Sure, but why do we ghettoize exactly. genre? <laughs> this is a great Terminator is, 2 literally has everything I want in a movie. It's a great movie too. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's um I think I enjoy Terminator. I'm usually the other way. So when it comes to the Godfather, Godfather Part mm-hmm. 2, I like Godfather better. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Alien versus Aliens, I think I tend to lean toward Alien. But Terminator and Terminator 2, I really love Terminator 2. Yeah. Um and uh but there and I, we talked about this with Mark a little bit, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts. Like that missing section in in those in that in those years. Like I want to see those years, you know. Um, but but Terminator Two is is I think the total package um, in effects. And okay, so here is the thing. To your point, go now that we there special effects have always been in film. Melier mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know and um, well, film itself could be considered absolutely, absolutely right. Magic has always yeah. been on film, um, and it is magical. Um, we cannot, as we go forward, not appreciate technology being a part and a tool of storytelling. So it's really easy for us to look at something. I, I'm. I haven't seen The Post, mm-hmm. right? The the new Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. movie. However, let's use that as an example, just on basis okay. of like this is a true life sure. story. Also, I have seen it, so whatever Great. you bring up, I can. So uh, true life story. Yep, it's a period piece. Yep. Uh, and um, willing to bet there are very little special effects that don't include turning. There's the, definitely no lasers or right. lightsabers. And and so or terrible. CGI. Yes. Yeah. So, so what I, yeah, Tom Hanks has not been de-aged in this one. Um, don't, they haven't brought people back from the dead. Don't even Meryl shot first. Yeah, seriously. But, but my point, my point is, um, technology is becoming a part of filmmaking and while Steven Spielberg, the great Steven Spielberg can continue to make wonderful, um, powerful dramas or, or mm-hmm. pick a director, pick a director who, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. He's, his movies are not special effects masterpieces. Definitely no special effects in Phantom Thread. No, which, yes. But, but my, but do you, do you get my point? Like yeah. we need to start to include spectacle and an appreciation and respect for spectacle, especially when it's done well. Especially when it truly aids the storytelling yeah. and doesn't and isn't just the flashy thing that well, distracts us. I think with CG and this also ties into the Star Wars franchise a thousand percent is like in the nineties and the aughts mm-hmm. when filmmakers started uh, experimenting with CG, trying to push the boundaries of what could be believable on screen. I think there was a real excitement for that. But like we haven't ascended the uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. We haven't solved we, not we. Like I'm not doing anything to <laughs> to help the cause, but like see technology isn't quite there uh, I think to 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 fulfill the vision of being seamless. Yeah. Uh, although it's interesting, we talk about this award season and the new the the war for Planet of the Apes. Right. Wants to be in that conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's being taken seriously as an Oscar contender. It'll probably get a VFX nomination mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but that's a good example. Yeah. Um, Andy Serkis. It's interesting to see his career evolve because he still does. Really astounding motion capture work, yep. but he's also uh, acting with his own face yep. more and more. Yep. Um, and I mentioned Battle Angel Alita just just because it's so those eyes are still fresh in my mind. But just the idea that like uh, that that something like eyes that don't feel right right in a trailer can put 
people off immediately. I, it's, it's a problem. Like I want to embrace technology that works to serve a story, to serve me being able to lose myself in in uh, imagination. Yeah. But when it does the opposite, it kind of is counterproductive. I don't think that I'll... I mean, granted, I didn't enjoy Rogue One because I didn't enjoy Rogue One. But also, Tarkin... I don't... I'm not, tr- I'm not being a hater. I'm not picking on anybody or anything. My eye mm-hmm. could see mm-hmm. that that was not a human being. Yeah. And... <laughs> Honestly, I'm kind of relieved that, <laughs> that I still can spot what a human being is and what isn't because when we listen back to this in 20 years, we probably won't be able to do oh my that, God, you're right. uh, which is yeah. terrifying in its own way. But um, but no, I mean, I I agree. Like using the technology, it no matter if you're George Melier making movies 100 years ago or if you are Ryan Johnson making movies now, technology should be used to serve the story mm-hmm. and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And we have examples of Mad Max Fury Road is the one that people always point to, and rightfully so, um, because I think that they do blend. There is more CG in Fury Road than people think. I love Fury Road. I do too. But I was it, transported so easily. And it didn't take you out of it. Yeah. You felt like everything was real. Your yeah. eye felt like everything was real. Uh, on the other hand, Peter Jackson in high frame rate Yes, does not work for me. No, I would agree. But, you know, and look, again, stylistic choices. These directors know what they're doing, I guess. But, you know. Well, and they're also trying to push boundaries, uh, which is in itself very interesting, and I do encourage. uh, But the question is, does it work yet? Right. I don't know. Yeah, and I I would argue that what we saw in Rogue One didn't work yet. Um, Mm. But that's just... That's just my little opinion. Um, okay, so we're adding Terminator 2 yes, please. to the main list, the big show. For so many reasons. It has thrills, which AFI knows it has thrills, it does obviously. Know, it knows, but it knows about AFI thrills. should recognize that it also has real, like, compelling human drama. It has amazing visuals. It's transportive. It's, it's uh, uh, like, it makes me want to do pull-ups. <laughs> yes, it does. It, it, it sure does. It sure, sure does. Um, well, I think that that's valid, 100%. Um, and, and I think that that's a good place, a good place to, to, to pause <laughs> and tease our, our delightful audience. So we're going to keep talking, and uh, it's going to be spoilers. Y'all better watch out. Star Wars, episode eight. Now, the oh, last Jedi, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Yes. Yes, because seven is episode seven yes. is Force Awakens. Also known as simply the last Jedi. Indeed. We covered a lot of ground, wouldn't you say? Um, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. Um, And as we alluded to at the end of the episode, this Thursday, the mini episode uh, that is available to Patreon subscribers at $5 a month or higher is a deep dive into The Last Jedi. It is spoiler filled. There are compare and contrast moments uh, from Last Jedi and A New Hope um, and and, you know, we're discussing the themes and we're discussing um, what we liked about the movie and maybe what we didn't like. So um, if you are a Star Wars fan, if you enjoyed our conversation that we had today, then I think that mini is for you. Thank you all so much for being here and we will see you on Thursday. 